Empire podcast this week. Want anything from the shop? Cornetto. And an interview with Edgar Wright, who talks to us about the amazing cinema-celebrating issue of Empire, on which he collaborated with us. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast had heard that the cool thing to do right now is to short stock. So we killed some Ewoks and made them into a stew. No! Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning once again. I hope none of them have invested heavily in GameStop stock this week. Well, this might be their last Empire Podcast because they'll be off to live on their own desert island. But they are, for the time being at least, Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. As if we could invest in anything. God bless you, Chris. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> it's like one of our listeners, uh, Kieran Lee, sent uh, you and I a tweet today, Helen, uh, which showed that he's made a massive killing on AMC stock. And, I, you know, I, 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 even if I did invest in stuff, I would always get on the, you know, people get on the ground floor things. I get on the 37th floor. So it's far, far yeah. too late for me. But I just, I can't afford to do even a pound. Like, what would a pound get me? 10,000, 20,000 back? I'm not interested in that. Not interested. <laughs> anyway, we're also joined by the world's nicest man, Ben Travis. Hello. I'm too busy emotionally investing in things to financially <laughs> invest in things. Um, mainly Star Wars, mainly Baby Yoda. Um, but he, I mean, that gives me all the warm and fuzzies I need. That's the real currency in this That's bankrupt it. world. That is it. Uh, you know, buy, 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 Grogu, Grogu, Grogu. Sell, 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 kill, kill, kill. Um, you know, usual stuff. No, not the kill. Fry him, mash him, put him in a stew. Grogu stew. Mm. No. That'd be Unless lovely. that's his surname, Stuart. Grogu lash. Grogu lash. <laughs> uh, you've just heard him, of course. Last but not least, we are joined by the nerd. Well, I'm running out of fancy military terms for this man. <laughs> so I googled worst job titles and it gave me folks a treasure trove that will last me the next few weeks and beyond. So please welcome Nurb. 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 <laughs> Going well. You know what? I might just leave it at that. Please welcome Nurb. James Dyer. Hello, Chris. Um, How are you? Oh, you know, just uh, what everyone else has been doing this week, I've just been fucking Keanu Reeves, which seems to be uh, the, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> Have you not read about this? Have you not read what? about So you may know there was a, there's a, a fraught video game release last year, Cyberpunk 2077, uh, and Keanu Reeves stars in this game as a, a character called Johnny Silverhand. It is a very sexually explicit game. There are lots of rude parts in it. Uh, people have been modding the game so that you could have wild monkey sex with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> the game publishers have asked them to stop. So uh, to everyone out there fucking Keanu Reeves on their computers, please, please stop. Have you, have you actually been fucking Keanu Reeves? No, no, I have not. Did you see his John Wick? <laughs> uh, you may see his lake house at one point. So. <laughs> Unclear. <laughs> Uh, you can see it's John Wick, but not as Johnny Mnemonics. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so, Jimbo, how do, how do you fuck Keanu Reeves in this game? My understanding of it, he says, couching this heavily as my understanding and not something I've been doing in my spare time, uh, you need to be on the PC, and I think it's a mod that you can download, which swaps out one of the characters you can have sex with, i.e. one of the prostitutes, of which there are both male and female, I should point out, but it is a very pervy game. Um, and uh, you can swap it for Keanu. How, how explicit is this? How the, the the sex scenes in the game are quite, quite you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of rude parts on display. That's all I will say. Johnny mnemonics all over the place. It's yeah. 
So, um, and what's the URL for this? <laughs> <laughs> KeanuFox.com. Oh, no. Is this why GameStop stock has been... That's a really fucking difficult <laughs> sentence to say, by the way. Is this why GameStop stock has been rocketing high? Mm-hmm. Because people have been... Be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. We're going to go straight into the three-fact structure, folks, which is the segment of the show in which my three colleagues of such lethal cunning bring me an obscure, arcane, or unusual movie fact, and uh, I give a point or some GameStop stock to the person who impresses me the most. Who wants to kick off this week? And uh, It better not be fucking Keanu Reeves adjacent. <laughs> we should all be adjacent to Keanu Reeves. I'll kick off this week as the reigning champion of several weeks running, I'm certain, at this point. So uh, my fact this week does not concern either his wick or his mnemonics. uh, But in fact, (laughs) in fact, centers around one Donald J. Trump. I'm sorry. I know. No, 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 absolutely. Immediately disqualified. I know, uh, I know. But, but, but bear with me. It's Donald Trump and Batman. So it's fine. Is it, though? Uh, you'll be aware that the Donald is, is is going through his second impeachment trial before the Senate very soon. Uh, mm-hmm. You may also be aware that the man presiding over that trial is the most senior member of the Senate, uh, the senator from Vermont, Patrick Leahy, who was first elected to that office in 1974. Now, that is a long job. Uh, but anyway, uh, Lee isn't just a senator with with like what is it like forty five, forty six years experience. Uh, nor is he only the man who is weighing up the Donald's legacy. He's also a Batman fan, but he's a massive Batman fan. So he was born uh, just a year after Batman was first published in 1939, uh, and Lee's been obsessed with The Dark Knight since childhood. It's literally his favourite thing in the whole world. Uh, So much so that he managed to get a cameo appearance in Batman Forever back in 1995. Then he got another one in Batman and Robin two years later. He voiced a character in the animated series, so I can't remember who it was. Uh, He actually played a senator in... um, Batman vs. Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice, uh, Senator Purrington, who, if you remember, gets blown up on screen. Uh, he's a board member in The Dark Knight Rises, but but his most accomplished role is in The Dark Knight, where he's the guy at the party who throws shade at the Joker, telling him we're not intimidated by thugs. You know, and nearly gets like a, like a razor blade smile for his trouble. But, however, I will say, uh, if you're a long-standing fan of Lee's work, you will be depressed and mortified to hear that due to a very busy schedule, you know, because overseeing the fall of American democracy and now presiding over the impeachment of the man who caused it. it keeps you busy. Uh, he was apparently too jam-packed schedule-wise to take a role in The Batman with our bats. Aww. Oh, no. Which is a real shame for you. Additional, additional Patrick Lee fact for you. After Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi, he's actually third in the line of succession, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of amazing. So he is the hero that Washington deserves. It remains to be seen if he's also the one that it needs. Yeah, decent fact. You coloured the uh, our reaction to it by mentioning Trump, but uh, yes, I apologise for that. I probably shouldn't have led with that fact. It's just that that may, that gives it a sort of a certain amount of you know relevance. It's uh, it ties it into current events, but really, okay. it's just I like the fact that the guy who's third in line to the presidency is uh, you know <laughs> is a massive Batman fan to the point where he obsessively cameos in all the films. He's also written like an introduction to like Batman graphic novels and all sorts. Like he's properly you know batty for the bat. Wow, do you reckon he and he and uh, Obama used to hang out and discuss their favorite superheroes? Maybe. Who was Obama's? Was it Superman? He did get his picture taken in front of the Superman statue, doing the sort of. It was Thanos, hip- wasn't it, Helen? It oh, was Thanos. You know, it was Thanos. <laughs> Obama is not a Thanos fan. Oh, I like, think he I'm might just, be. He was environmentally no. conscious, just like the Mad Titan. Get the hell out of here right now! <laughs> get the hell out of here! 
I refuse, okay? Like, we can have an interesting discussion about, like, you know, his views on, like, appeasing of your enemies and perhaps being a little wishy-washy, but, you know, Thanos? No, absolutely. No. Get out. Thanos was much understood. Much much misunderstood. Yeah, no, uh, he misunderstood. was much understood. You said it right first time. He was much understood. Very understood. O- Obama did have The Boys Season 2 on his, like, end of 2020 mm, yeah. favourites yes. list, which... Um, Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. He's well he is a giant nerd as well as a giant jock, Obama. So, you know, fair play. And there a giant go. president. Who gets to be all three? Who gets to be like a politics nerd and a sort of comics co- pop culture nerd and a jock at the same time? Almost nobody. He's collecting them all like infinity stones. Yes. No, stop it's, it. It's Barack oh. Obama and Boris Johnson. As as far as I can tell, that's the only two who take <laughs> all three boxes. Just look at Boris Johnson. Is that it- man could run a mile in very, very small increments over a very long period of time. I mean, did you see the list of films he hadn't watched that he watched while he was in hospital? Dude is not a geek. I'm amazed he's seen any films, quite frankly. Bojo is not he doesn't. He doesn't strike me as a cinema goer. No. Far too many ordinary people for him to, to mingle with. Uh, anyway, let's not get political, shall mm, we? God um, forbid. Who's next? Who wants to go next? I'll go because mine is not very exciting. So then you can have a big finish with whatever Ben has. Yay! Um, I was looking at an airplane oral history, and you probably know this, Chris, so it probably won't count. But I was interested by some of the people who auditioned for the role of Ted Stryker oh. and didn't guess it. Okay, good. So Caitlyn Jenner actually came in to read. Mm. Uh, obviously, this is before certain life life changes, um, but uh, was one of the the people who came in to read wasn't particularly right for the role, they thought. Um, but one of, one of the people who they were more interested in on paper was David Letterman, who went in to read for the role and had also come in and auditioned for Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, sorry, not Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, I'd love to audition for Kentucky Fried Chicken. I know you would, yeah. Um, and Letterman was basically too funny. Uh, so they needed someone who would yeah. be really, really that. straight. Yeah. So they were like, I mean, he's good. But they were like, he's not really an actor. He's kind of a comedian. And you have this sense that he's being kind of satirical the whole time. So it just didn't quite fit. So anyway, finally, somebody uh, left Robert Hayes's headshot somewhere, you know, in the production office. He was on a Paramount show at the time. Paramount obviously were making Airplane. And uh, they were like, I mean, sure, he looks okay. And literally within two minutes of him walking through the door, they were like, boom, done. They don't have to worry about it anymore. So yeah. That's all I have, because I forgot until five minutes before we started recording. How can you forget this is a fixture in your life? I it mean, is, is it though? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very much. It's the thing that you you know, you base your entire week around, isn't that it? That is true. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Uh, decent fact. Yeah, terrible casting. That would have been terrible mm. casting. Let have been only made one movie, if I'm right in thinking. Uh, oh, yeah? It was what a film was called Cabin Boy. Hmm. Came out years and years and years ago. I've never seen it, but apparently, uh, by all reports, it is absolutely terrible. So he made the right call. He made the right call. And they made the right call, in fact. Airplane with David Letterman wouldn't have been as funny. No. Benjamin. My track record with, with these fact sections is truly terrible. terrible. Have you it's won? I don't think you've won. I, I, I don't think I've even shown up, to be honest. <laughs> well, you're here now. Um, I'm here. And um, so I've decided to shamelessly nick one from uh, my colleague Sam Summers on the Disney podcast that I do, because uh, he says loads of interesting things that then I can steal. And I think that's kind of fair game, because Helen based loads of hers on the research for her book. Oh, yeah, so. for sure. 100%. Yeah, you're not meant to just make these facts up. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like other, it's okay for a other people to know. seems to, to be fair. <laughs> hey. What's not acceptable is for people to feed Jimbo facts. That's Which true. is what happens. 
Along those lines, I'd like to thank David Heslop for providing me with my oh, David Lee fa- Patrick Lee fact. <laughs> really? You deep throated another fact? Yeah, I deep throat all my facts where I can. I'm 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 all about the deep throats. So if you That's, wish to deep throat me, please no. do so over Twitter oh, <laughs> before next week's podcast, so I don't have to do additional work. If you want to be deep throated by James Dyer, get in touch oh, with God. him on uh, on Twitter. He's at James C Dyer. Uh, there seems to be some misunderstanding here. I'm referring, of course, to Deep Throat, the source yes. that Woodward and Bernstein used. Yes, of course. Of course, you know that Woodward and Bernstein actually considered downloading a mod so that it could look like they were getting deep throated by Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I swear to God, you were like 10 seconds ahead of me. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> by one second. Uh, yeah, I was just waiting for a gap in the conversation. Uh, ben, anyway, who did you do it this week? On a, <laughs> on a much more wholesome note, everybody, uh, my fact relates to Bambi. Uh, and that did is. Did not deep throat Bambi? <laughs> No, no, oh, never. Can that be the quote of this week's podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I do not condone doing that Deep to Bambi. I can't even Bambi. bring myself yeah. to say it. That's awful. That's horrible. That's disgusting. <laughs> no, my ho- very wholesome fact is that uh, Bambi actually first appeared in live action in 1957. So Disney's all about the live action stuff at the moment, all the sort of quasi live action remakes. Mm. But uh, there has been a live action, an actual live action Bambi, uh, which came about in this 1957 film called Perry which is what Walt Disney dubbed a true life fantasy. So Disney had been making all of these um, like nature documentaries that were hugely influential. And then they decided to tip it over into something called a true life fantasy, which was made, taking real life footage to construct a kind of fictional narrative, basically like they do with Made in Chelsea. And so this was the story. Perry is the story of a squirrel living in the forest, foraging for things and escaping dangerous animals. Uh, And they used all of this real life footage that they shot of squirrels and then built this narrative around it, this fictional story. And halfway through Perry, you come across an older male stag in the forest with two little fawns. And the narrator points out, look, there's Bambi. There's grown up Bambi with his two little kids, which is obviously where you're left at the end of the original animated film. So there was a live action Bambi uh, there is some kind of Bambi cinematic universe going on out there, which also obviously carries on into the VHS sequel, Bambi 2. But uh, I'll save everything about that. Maybe if I come on to do another fact, it's all going to be Bambi facts from now on. I, I, I will say from this point on, a moratorium on you bringing in facts from your Disney podcast, <laughs> Disneyversity, which is available on all major podcast platforms. Ben, I'm listening, so I'll bring in facts from your podcast. (laughs) And then can you just tell me good facts about women in Hollywood over the last hundred years? That would be really great. And Chris will never know. (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird you guys were able to mute yourselves for that (laughs) little exchange. Uh, Okay, that was a very, very good fact. And uh, not just because Ben pointed out that he's never won one of these things, mainly because his facts have been fucking terrible. Um, (laughs) But his was a wholesome fact. It was, there was wholesome. Mm. There was no Donald Trump in that fact. There was no deep throating. There was none of that that stuff. So therefore, this week's winner is Ben. Yes. Oh my That's God. That's a charity yes. win. It's a great I mean, fact. Do you know that fact? Stop the there steal. Was a live... Stop the steal. <laughs> Drain the swamp. Oh Drain God. the swamp. <laughs> Make the three fact structure great again. No. <laughs> I mean, that implies that it was great to begin with. So that's hey, good. Hey. Come on, guys. Open goal, in fairness. Um, yes, well done, Ben. That was a great Hooray. fact. Yours was good. James uh, Helens was also... I didn't know that 
So well done. Well done. Yeah, didn't know that. Um, Helen's was also a fact. Uh, But yes, Ben wins. Live action Bambi, now presumably dead. Yeah, I expect so. Probably shot by a hunter. Let's Let's have a minute's silence for Bambi. Bambi was written by a hunter. Minute silence, How Ben. Is that? Minute silence. <laughs> Doesn't really work on a podcast, does it? <sighs> All right. What was that? Five seconds. Five seconds. It's five, yeah. seconds. five seconds of morning. <laughs> what was your supplementary fact, Ben? You were going to say something real quick. That that Bambi was written by a hunter. The original Bambi novel, Felix Sultan, the author, was a hunter. How how does that work? What gives? Was he tortured by his past? Yeah, absolutely. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> Anyway, that is it for this week's three-fact structure. I'm sure you'll all agree, a roaring success. <laughs> and as surely as day follows night and night follows day, the listener question follows the three-fact structure. This week's question comes from at Tim24Frames. Thank you, Tim. I actually managed to lose this week's question. I don't know how. Someone sent it to me in the DM and it's just disappeared. It was a good one as well. I can't quite remember what it was. But Tim has replaced it with this Belter, with cinemas shut, hang on, what? No one told me about this. A movie magic relegated to the home. What are your most memorable home film viewing experiences? Mine, maybe, this is Tim, not me. Mine, maybe six years old, one foot from a huge TV with a tiny screen. Remember those, but the big things at the back, the big, Mm. you know, we used to shut out at the back. Watching Luke and Leia swing across the chasm. That's Mm. a Star Wars reference on a sex thing, I have to say. Until James gets a mod for it anyway. Yeah, yeah um, that's right. <laughs> the Keanu chasm. I can remember something similar, actually. I remember um, I had seen, I think, Jedi in the cinema when I was very little. Mm-hmm. And I caught Star Wars at some point on TV, but Empire eluded me for an extra couple of years and I had to wait until it was on one night and it was on slightly after my bedtime. So I did that trick where you sit there really quietly, hoping your parents will forget you're there and send you to bed halfway through. And I can remember being really stressed that they would kind of remember and notice me, which I don't think they would have done because I think they had more humanity than to send me to bed halfway through Empire Strikes Back. But what if though, right? I mean, it wasn't something I could risk. So I had to sit there being incredibly quiet while I watched it. Naturally. <laughs> Interesting. Anything else? Anyone else? Yeah, I guess for me, um, it's kind of like when you go to the cinema in the sense that for me, what makes those experiences special is partly like who you're watching with or the people that you're in the room with. So I remember watching Jaws for the first time with my mum and dad <laughs> and my mum wouldn't stop screaming. She was like screaming out loud <laughs> at all these different bits. When the head popped out of the boat, I remember she absolutely shrieked and every time you see the the, the shark pop up. Uh, so that was a special one. Um, I always really sort of treasured my dad sitting me down to say like, we're going to watch this film together. This is something I grew up on. The two that really stand out to me, one was The Graduate, which I think that was one of the first films. Um, I was, yeah, I was a teenager at the time, but it was that point when you're starting to get into slightly different sorts of films. And he was like, you should watch this. This is like a, a seminal film. And I remember mm-hmm. all the way through, like not quite knowing what I thought of it. And at the end of it, thinking that I'd seen something pretty special and being sort of thankful that somebody was like, okay, sit down, we're going to watch this together. Because I don't think I would have watched that film on my own at that time. Um, And I'm really glad that I did. The other thing he showed me, which I'm really glad for, uh, was The Man With Two Brains. 
I grew up at a time <laughs> when Steve Martin was just doing the worst comedies. Like it was the full on two star, cheaper by the dozen, Pink Panther, all of that. Mm. So I never knew him growing up as somebody who did these like genuinely amazing comedies. But uh, yeah, my dad sat me down to watch uh, The Man with Two Brains. Uh, the, I think at the time I was obsessed with Anchorman. Uh, that was like my go-to comedy. It was just so funny. And he was like, this is what we used to watch when I was at university. We'd go and rent this and we'd watch it over and over and over. Um, so yeah, Man with Two Brains for me as well. He's too young. Why do we have him here? He's just, we were working <laughs> at Empire when Anchorman came out. This is very upsetting to me. It's just, it's, it really is. I, just too, I was 12. Too upsetting. <laughs> oh, God. I still remember being so excited going to see that. And oh, it was everything I hoped for and more. Uh, Jimbo, have you ever derived pleasure from a movie? <laughs> <laughs> Once or twice. It, 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 Ben's entire life has missed out on what I think is the seminal sort of home viewing experience, which was the old video stores. But even before Blockbuster, there was a was a was a yellow-fronted store called The Ritz where I grew up, and before that, it was just called The Video Store. And even before that, we used to have to drive to like the next town mm. over to go to a video store there. And it's before they had the little plastic boxes that kind of fitted the. So you remember the big, huge puffy, ones, yeah. black, huge ones? They had a very specific smell to them, and I remember the smell of the store and just going in there and just looking at all these films. And obviously, as a kid, and when you're you know, any source of movie information is, let's be honest, CFAX. Now, Ben, CFAX, just Google I know, it. I, I was there for CFAX. <laughs> CFAX was Gandalf's horse, as I understand. Oh, yes, indeed. It's a good deep cut. Well done. <laughs> just CFAX, man. Good. Just CFAX. So you'd look up this stuff. So you'd go into a video store and it would just be walls and walls of anything. Like you didn't know what, like the, the, the potential was extraordinary. Mm. So there would be things like Lethal Weapon. You had no idea what that mixed in with some awful straight-to-video horror film. And there was no way of knowing the difference between big mainstream blockbusters and shitty straight-to-video dross. Like, it was like eating Revels. Like, it was complete Russian roulette going mm. to the video. So you had no fucking clue what you were going to get. And I remember my local one had, on Thursday nights, you could get three films for three pounds uh, for three nights. And so every Thursday, I used to go out and get those three films. I think you do it on Tuesdays as well. So, and it would just be that thing. What would you get? What would you get? And I remember that's how I stumbled across, God, so many great films. It's how I watched Aliens for the first time. It's how I watched Predator. And let's be honest, all the Arnie films, because I was far too young to go and see them mm -hmm. in cinema, you know. And I, once I stumbled across The Godfather, but then I would watch like really shitty like that. Do you remember Wraith? Do you remember that horror yeah, film Wraith? Which is kind of like, yeah, uh, like that was another one, just random thing I pulled out of my ass. Like you just find it on the, on the shelf there and you're like, okay, let's take the back and watch it and i just i loved that sense of going into the store and having no clue what you were in store for like you've not read a review you didn't know what it was like it was absolute mm. chance and there was something quite special about that and taking those films home and putting it on and be like yes this is fucking terrible no Good, good times. Watching stuff good twice time. when you've rented a video and you've got it for 40 hours yes. and you're like, I'm going to watch this again before we oh take it back. Oh my God, you would. You'd watch it in the night and then you'd watch it again the next morning before you rewound mm -hmm. the tape. Obviously, rewind, yes. rewind uh, and took it back to the store. Yep. I watched uh, Commando six times in one day. <laughs> wow. And now we can see what that did to your psyche. <laughs> yeah. Commando came out on the same day that Cobra came out, as I recall, on video. And I hired Cobra because I was more of a Stallone fan and I chose You did poorly. choose. choose. You did choose? You did choose poorly. Uh, so many of I those did. moments are burned into my mind as well. I don't know. There's there's so many, you know, as, as we get older and older and older and older. And Ben, it'll happen to you one day, you motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> happening. It's happening. I'm facing that. Um, 
as you get older, you know, the past begins to fade a little bit. But there are moments that are just seared into my mind in terms of a lot of them revolve around horror films as well. Mm. You know, I, I had a friend called Gary at, at school and we used to rent loads and loads of films. Our parents just didn't give a shit, quite frankly, what we rented. And they obviously would come. We would even get them to come in and get us the, you know, the 18 rated movies. And then they would, <laughs> we would go back to our houses and just watch these things. So I have very, very strong memories of watching a film called Superstition, aka The Witch, which is about, is a haunted house movie in which a uh, group of people move into a house and they get attacked by this evil witch. Uh, it's really grubby, schlocky 80s horror. Uh, but moments in that are burned into my mind because it scared the shit out of me when I was about seven, eight years old, mm. something like that. Uh, and I have very, very strong memories of watching that in Gary's front room in the middle of the day and still being scared shitless. Uh, watching Friday the 13th Part 2 for the first time when we went on holiday and Gary came with us and we rented that and watched it. We were staying with some friends and we watched it in the bedroom of our friends because my mom and dad and and uh, you know our get our hosts were watching something else in the next room. That's also the place where I saw Dawn of the Dead for the first time. But that's where we had recorded it off Sky because Dad had a friend who had Sky. I would tape things that I selected in the in the paper, and he would tape them for me, and then sent them around to us. So that's where I watched oh. Dawn of the Dead for the first time. I think Gary was there as well uh, on this small TV in in Peter and Helen's house in Newcastle, in County Down. I used to go to Newcastle. Oh, we we loved Newcastle was our holiday destination, mm. and uh, we we loved it, you know. But uh, yeah, that's where I watched Dawn of the Dead for the first time. I'm sure I've mentioned this in the podcast before as well. That this same friend uh, of my dad's recorded Reanimator one night uh, for me, and I hadn't seen it before. <laughs> so they just didn't give a shit. I was like 10, 11, 12 years old. Whatever. <laughs> I was getting these movies taped, and. So we taped Reanimator, and then at the end, after Reanimator finished, he left the tape running, naturally, because that's what you did. It was like midnight, so you went to bed. And on after Reanimator was Emmanuel, folks. Oh, God. <laughs> and, you know, that was a very important moment. You might even say seminal in young Chris's life. Wow. Please don't spell it. Please do not spell it. <laughs> I haven't heard of this film, but I can imagine what it is. You yeah. haven't heard of Emmanuel? No. no. Oh, so man. Sweet summer child. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw, uh, I think I've probably told this on the podcast before, but I saw Robocop unedited at the age of about seven at a friend's house. Uh, wow. at Brown's house up the road and um, the, the concept of the guy sort of melting in the in the toxic waste uh-huh. really freaked me out that got under my skin in a big 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 way um, when they kill Murphy though that's fucking yeah, horrible yeah but I was you know yeah, yeah. oh god was a mess. yeah really really fine and stuff was just mm. you know it was absolutely totally fine I remember when Aliens came out on <laughs> When Aliens came out on VHS, uh, I got my dad to drive us around every single video store in Banbridge until we found a copy. And eventually we found a copy in the in the video store we just never used to go to because it was so far away. And uh, again, that's something I watched multiple times during the day. Um, yeah, stuff like that was just was just mad. In fact, when it came out, when the director's cut came out or the um, special edition came out, I was imported down in Northern Ireland at my grandmother's house um, and I went into Woolworths imported down to get this thing 18 rated movie mm. I was maybe maybe 12 maybe 13 and they just sold it to me they, they didn't give a shit <laughs> you didn't even get your uh, your grandma to buy it for you <laughs> no. you were just like Come on, come on, child, Chris. I saved up my money and I went and I bought it. Because I think my local video shop began to kind of 
trust me. So I would, you know, there were some where you were definitely just sort of looking them them in the eye, daring them to make a fuss about you getting a 15 rated film when you were 13 or something. But mm. other times, like, I wasn't quite looking in the eye because it was like an 18 and I knew it was a bit dodge. And, and they still sort of, I think they took a view. I think they kind of might have said no on a couple of things, or maybe I was just scared that they would. But basically, they just kind of were like, I mean, she seems to know what she's doing. It's fine. Let's just give her the tape. <laughs> I remember being properly thrown when our price on uh, Neil Street in Common Garden wouldn't sell me The Terminator because I wasn't 18. It's like, do you understand how many hundreds of times I've watched this film? Just give me the film. They wouldn't do it. <laughs> Did you ask us for a phase plasma rifle in a 41 range? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just went, I just went, I'll be back <laughs> when I'm older. Give me the copy of the Terminator. Uzi 9mm. Phase plasma rifle in the 41 range. It's funny you mentioned the, the Alien Special Edition one, because when I heard that was coming out, I became obsessed with it. So I went around every shop and I kept just picking up Aliens boxes and looking at the run times on the back as if like it wouldn't have different packaging. They just sneak in the extra <laughs> minutes and I had to find the one that had the longer cuts on it. Needless to say, it had different packaging when mm. it came out. So I remember uh, watching John Woo's Hard Boiled for the first time, and that was a very... Mm scales falling from my eyes moment that was the kind of oh my god this is what action cinema is capable of what mm. have i been watching this whole time uh, this is amazing and i watched Why did I waste all my... that time with commando oh god don't, 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 don't you fucking diss commando you, you you put some respect on john matrix's name john matrix is that ah, can't even say john matrix is his name why is everything so difficult to say this week? GameStop stock, John Matrix 667. <laughs> Nerb. <laughs> this is going really well. Super well. Anyway, watching Hard Boiled on my friend Ross's portable TV in his kitchen. Uh, I also remember once we had a friend, actual, you know, their names should remain nameless. <laughs> and they were quite religious. And his family was quite religious. And we all went round to his house one evening and decided to watch John Carpenter's The Thing. And his mum came in just oh, no. as the dog was transforming and off it went. So I remember that very, very specifically. And we were like, it's nothing. It's It, it takes place, if anything, in a godless world. So it's totally fine. <laughs> That's going to win her over. Um, <laughs> I remember sitting around with a bunch of my friends after our sort of sixth year formal. So we somehow ended up spending the entire weekend afterwards basically in one another's houses. We went around a couple of different houses for like a day each and all of us would be like sitting there in blankets on various sofas and piles of cushions in these various houses. And what was hilarious was we'd sit there, we sat there and I remember us watching The Breakfast Club, which I definitely came to too late. It's one of those yeah. films, if you watch it when you're 12, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. We were like 18 and it, I was like, this is stupid. Anyway, um, but we were sitting there watching it and what I really remember is that one of my friends who I won't name to protect the guilty so don't worry Elaine um, she kind of <laughs> she kind of started to have memories coming back of what had happened at the formal the night before so she'd gone along with with a friend and they were just going as friends it wasn't a dating thing and then they ended up snogging and <laughs> And she and she kind of didn't remember. And then it gradually over the weekend, we were just sitting around in people's houses, watching film after film, and just bits and pieces would come back to her, like, "Oh my God, did I introduce him to Sister Patricia? Yes, yes, you did. Was I sitting on his knee at the time? Yes, yes, you were. Oh no. Okay. Oh God. Oh anyway. no. You had your friend on Booksmart. It it pretty much <laughs> was. Yeah, it was it was fun. Jesus.
I remember one. You talking about that has, has brought back for me. Um, I I honestly can't quite remember what the event was, but I I was maybe like eleven or twelve, and me and my brother and sister and like some close family friends went to this slightly like Jesusy sleepover thing in a like town hall or something. I honestly don't remember what it was. But the the p- person looking after us was uh, an older religious lady, and we persuaded her to let us watch The Matrix because it's basically about Jesus. We were like, "It's about it's he's he's Jesus. He comes back from the dead and he saves everyone." Uh, and so we got to sit up and watch The Matrix. So totally that was good. legit. Keanu will save us all if James doesn't wear him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, Helen. It's okay if you see his little Buddha as long as you don't see his parabellum. <laughs> James has got Kenny Reeves' IMDb page up, quite clearly. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, then I've been talking about his sweet November. <laughs> hey. Enough of the river's edge, all right? Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, and then also, my mum and dad weren't really big movie people, but I do remember my mum loved, 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 loved Yankee Doodle Dandy, the story of George M. Cohen with, with Jimmy Cagney. So we used to watch that together. Uh, my dad was massively into Westerns. So I, I guess he introduced me to things like Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry. And uh, that's not a Western, obviously, but, uh, you know, is, tangentially, we went, we went from dirt, Clint Eastwood into Dirty Harry, things like that. And it was, it's a great way to you know, bond, I guess, as well with your parents. Mm. Uh, and perhaps we'll leave the uncomfortable conversation about watching sex scenes with your parents for another time. Mm. This has been sexy enough, this podcast. This has been sexy enough. Never watched Emmanuel with my folks, that's for damn sure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, you can get in touch with us via one method and one method only as things stand. Fuck you, COVID. It is, of course, Twitter. I am at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. Slide into my DMs, respond to my panicked tweets of a Wednesday or a Thursday, ask you for questions. And if we like what we see, I've already seen next week's, by the way, and I've liked it, so I won't lose it. All right, time now for this week's guest. Uh, as we discussed last week, the current issue of Empire Magazine is a special one. They're always special, but this one is particularly special. It is a celebration of cinema in accord with Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, oh yes indeed, he came to us with an idea, uh, a simple idea, uh, was to convene a team of the world's mightiest heroes in case there was a threat that they couldn't face. Oh wait, no, that's, that's the Avengers, damn it. Uh his idea was to celebrate cinema by canvassing you, the readers slash listeners, about your favourite cinema-going moments. So, like the ones we've just been talking about, but in a bigger room with lots more people. Uh, and then also ask approximately 40 of his closest Hollywood chums, uh, including James Cameron, Steven Spielberg, Jordan Peele, Chris Evans, Daniel Craig, Greta Gerwig, and many, many, many more. So... In order to plug the hell out of that further, we decided to jump on the Squadcast, uh, Edgar and I, this morning to have a good old chat about how it came about, about how he is coping with the pandemic, uh, the decision to move last night in Soho back uh, to October, which it has now. This is next film, obviously, the documentary he's made about Sparks called The Sparks Brothers, and about how this feature helped him build a very particular bridge. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the wonderful Edgar Wright, who has, of course, collaborated with us, uh, or maybe it's the other way around, Edgar, because you came to us with the idea for the latest issue, uh, Celebrating Cinema. How are you, man? I'm good. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Um, that's not true. <laughs> I, I've been on this podcast before. Um, 
Yeah, no, it was, uh, I don't know, has that ever happened before that a director has got in contact with Empire and said, I have a, a pitch for an idea? I mean, I just want to stress, I did not get paid for the article. And hopefully I didn't put anybody <laughs> else out of a job. But I just, I just felt like it was something that I, I felt like it was something in a lot of the discourse about the future of cinema, a specific thing that hadn't really been uh, touched on. And it's so important right now. In case people don't know what we're talking about, the uh, the new issue of Empire is uh, largely a wonderful celebration of those moments that you only get when you see a movie in a cinema. Usually, you know, ideally, with a with a huge packed packed audience. And Edgar came to us. You know, you you did a tweet about two months ago now, maybe yeah. around about then. You did a tweet asking people for their favorite experiences, and it you know it went gangbusters. And then you came to us and said, "Should we do something a little bit bigger, a little bit more evolved?" And uh, naturally, we went, "Yes, please." And uh, and it's amazing. You dipped deep into. I don't know whether you still have a Rolodex, but if you do, uh, your Rolodex, and uh, you pulled out some pretty big goddamn names. Uh, so it was it was a hell of a thing. I mean. The work you put in in this has probably put me to shame in terms of the work I've ever put in on any feature for Empire. Terry White did say that, like, I, I hit my deadlines, unlike that Chris Hewitt. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, the thing was, I, to be honest, uh, it, was a, it was a lot of work, but it was also very easy in that all of the people who wrote stuff um, wanted to say something. And it was that simple. And, and I also, and this probably, might not mean so much to people outside the magazine industry or rather outside entertainment, but I did it all without going through people's publicists. I just emailed, if I had the person's email, I just emailed them directly. And I think maybe because of that, the sort of the, the pieces are a bit more candid, you know, like Daniel Craig's kind of piece that sort of is right towards the end of the article. I was really touched by, I thought it was like beautifully written and I never really you know, sort of seen anything that Daniel had written. And I thought it was like a little kind of haiku that he wrote. It was so sweet. But what's funny is that um, uh, Daniel, who I, I I don't know super well, but I've met him several times over the years and we've emailed about mm. things. But he writes these brilliant kind of very, you know, his, his emails are taciturn, <laughs> as you might expect. But what's funny is he wrote that article and I don't, I've, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, but he sent the article to me as an attachment. But then the email just said, it just was subject heading, here you go. And then the body of the email just said, if it sucks, dump it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I read it and it was great. It was not just great. It was really good and beautiful. And, and you know, I, that's why I think it's the sort of penultimate piece in the article. But I said, yeah. I said, uh, I said, Daniel, it's beautiful. And he said, uh, do, do proofread it. I said, I said, you spelt Michael Haneke wrong. Other than that, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tricky surname. It is fairness. a tricky surname. I also like that in his thing, it was like an amazing, his piece, I mean, there's so many of the pieces are great, but if you've read the uh, magazine and you've seen Daniel's bit, I just like that he kind of is doing kind of like a shopping list where it's like he sort of says, uh, and, and, and a sentence I don't think has ever been done before, it says, M Mike's Lee Haneke. It's like, I like that Mike Lee, Mike Lee and Michael Haneke are like lumped together as the mics. I also like that he picked out the mummy. And I was thinking like, you know, like starring his future wife as well. So there's lots of things in there that are just really sweet. 
his description of Titanic is just that big fucking boat that sank. I was very kind of happy to be Empire's unpaid intern for the month because <laughs> honestly, you know, the thing that had started to annoy me is in since the start of lockdown, there have been so many kind of pieces in the papers and in magazines um, and in the trades about like, is this the end of cinema? And what started to annoy me is that there are a lot of people kind of talking about it who either A, don't watch films with an audience, you know, a lot, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of film critics kind of go to special critic screenings, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. people in the industry sort of watch films at BAFTA screenings or festival screenings or premieres. And that, that isn't quite, I was like shocked how few people in the industry go and see films with a paying audience because, um, those are the people who are keeping us all going. And also that's the sort of the, the, the real response that you want to kind of, um, witness. So that said, then right. Reading lots of articles, people sort of proclaiming the death of exhibition and uh, cinema for mm. people who don't actually go or even have vested interests in their streaming platforms. I was starting to get kind of annoyed about it because people start to talk about cinema as if it's something that happened back in the eighties and, and never since. And it's like, uh, I'm pretty sure there was like a billion dollar movie in 2019. There's even like massive hits in 2020, like 1917 at the start of the year, completely like cleaned up. Lay one Owl's invisible man was on its way to being like an even bigger hit than it was when it got kind of got, I think that was the last film I saw before the lockdown. Actually, I think em, either Emma mm. or the invisible man was the last film I saw before the first lockdown, it just started to annoy me that I felt like people kind of were not, were, were because there's a lot of like money in pushing streaming platforms. And also I think it's not controversial to say there's t- too many streamers, like sort of, you know, it's apps. I've got nothing against Netflix or Amazon with the certain type, with a certain type of thing. It's like a great watch. I mean, I don't want all films to, I'm, I'm happy for serial killer documentaries to be on Netflix. <laughs> it's a natural home. It's a natural home for like the Night Stalker and the Yorkshire Ripper documentary. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't rip through those like they were a packet of Pringles. But it isn't like how necessarily you want all films to be seen for the rest of time. And that idea that like sort of stream platforms being the, uh, the eventually the only option, I think is, is just wrong. I think you, what we, you want to go back to is like choice. And I think it's something yeah. where, you know, go to the cinema to watch something or like watch it at home eventually or, or like buy a copy if you feel really sort of strongly about it. All of these options should be kept open. And so it's just that thing as I was getting sick of these pessimistic articles about the death of cinema. And I wanted to remind people why we do what we do. And I do think actually sort of in, in the last couple of months, I think even though there's a lot of kind of positivity about streaming and sort of technology, I think also filmmakers and audiences have started to kind of realize that like, it's not quite the same. Whilst there's some great things about the convenience, you know, you can see it happen- happening with award season at the moment where there are films, which are sometimes are very good are sort of arriving with sort of initial fanfare from critics and stuff, but they haven't embraced by the public in the same way because maybe people don't have the attachment to them because they didn't see them 
you know, at a great and screening similar. or something, yeah. or, or you didn't even get to, I mean, I've been watching a lot of films. I'm on the international film jury and, uh, at the, at the, for the Academy. So I've been watching a lot of films from around the world and that's been great. But the thing that I miss like almost immediately is that I watch them at home and then there's nobody to talk to them about, you know, and it's not quite the same, like texting somebody or emailing somebody saying, Hey, I just watched this. What did you think? It's like, I want to do that in the lobby. I want to go and have a coffee with somebody and talk about what we just witnessed. And that's what I really miss. And I I think the other thing that's tricky, like, I think it happened with Wonder Woman in the States that like Warner Brothers are pushing the HBO Max thing really hard. Not really thinking that HBO Max didn't. (laughs) There was a feeling like this sort of like thinking, yeah, you can keep pushing this HBO Max thing, but don't forget that the rest of the world doesn't have it. And other people might be confused about when and where they can see Wonder Woman and it might actually be in cinemas or, but the thing that happened, I thought that was really, I hope is not the future is that because they really pushed in the States, at least the idea of Wonder Woman being out on Christmas day and like it drops at midday and Wonder Woman, our gift to the world, Wonder Woman 84. And then what happened is people watched it like they're watching a football game where they're tweeting Mm -hmm. all the way through it. And I mm-hmm. thought like, ah, oh, you know, that is not the way I'd like to premiere my movie with people live tweeting all the way through it. It was kind of like depressing to watch, to be honest. Um, yeah. Interesting to watch that happening. Like, so by the way, and it's worth just saying out loud, when I say about getting back to cinemas, obviously safely, you know, uh, like the rest of the world, we want this vaccine to kick in and uh, Boris start doing 24 hour vaccines for God's sakes. <laughs> and also stop stop making the only way that uh, people over the age of 80 or 75 that the only way they can get a, a, a vaccination is to send them a smartphone link and my, my my parents who do not have iphones and they were sent like a link and then had no idea what that means oh my god anyway the the point is yeah. is that i i will be you know, you know me, is I'll be the first person back in the cinemas. I think it's that thing, like, we know when you're promoting movies now, and especially you're talking about movies being out in cinemas, people are saying, like, you know, there's a pandemic. And I said, no, of course, you know, but also two things is that, you know, hopefully things will return back to normal by the autumn. But also, you know, I, I witnessed it myself because I went to the cinema quite a few times during um, earlier in the year when they were open. And I saw like the effort that the cinemas had put into and the staff had put into making things safe. Mm-hmm. So when things shut shut down again, I, I thought it was really sad because I'd seen sort of that they'd, you know, I, I went to like the Odeon and Curzon and like the Pitch House Central, a couple of, and the BFI. And I was really impressed by the way that they'd sort of like figured out how to do it and make it safe. Hopefully, you know, we'll all be back to normal at some point. I mean, the other thing I find is funny is like, I, <laughs> People say that like um, about streaming being the future and that people don't want to go back to the cinema. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So say the vaccine like sort of kicks in and things go back to normal and we're out of the coronavirus. Says, You're telling me that you want to stay on the sofa? Please, I need to get out of the fucking house. The last thing I want to do is watch all movies on my sofa. Please, God, yeah. no. Kill me now. No, it's awful. I'm I'm sure I'm not alone here in terms of like, I could easily, after a year of being at home, I could easily do an entire year of not being on a fucking Zoom. 
Damn straight. I mean, it, this is very much the world's smallest violin playing just for the, uh, the film journalist as well. But I had two experiences this week that I don't really wish to repeat. One, I was sent a link for an upcoming comedy. And, uh, you know, you just watch a comedy in a vacuum on your own. So I got my wife to watch it with me. And it really helped immeasurably because you need, well, you don't need, but comedies really, really help when they're when the laughter is infectious, when the person's next to you laughing and that amplifies everything. And then I saw another movie last night that should remain nameless. Uh, I, I was sent a link in SD, Edgar, SD, mm. that I could only watch on my computer and I couldn't blow it up full screen because it looked really blurry and pixelated. And I had my name <laughs> in the middle of the screen, uh, obscuring the action at times. And I was just thinking, this is not how the director of this movie wants his work to be seen. This is this is crazy. So let's get back and sit You know man. for sure that the actual movie didn't have the words Chris Hewitt all the way through it. <laughs> I mean, maybe that maybe that is what the director intended. It's like he's he's really trying to he's really trying to get a good review out of you by putting your name throughout the whole thing. <laughs> I make it extra blurry. <laughs> I didn't care for the movie, but I did enjoy the fact that my name was literally on the big screen. <laughs> oh yeah, for a while it makes you feel like you're a star of the film, but <laughs> there's lots of things about it that I think people in the sort of the push towards convenience haven't quite figured out. Like one of my bugbears is that on Amazon, I'm going to just call out platforms now, but like there are tons, <laughs> this is not Amazon's problem, but it's the distributors. There are like tons of classic international films on Amazon and you're like, great. And then you find out that they're all in SD and they're in like SD and sort of terrible copies that they've maybe just like ripped it straight from the DVD. And it's not like, I'm thinking, so you, say you want to watch a classic Amar Bergman film. It's like, oh, great. They're all on Amazon. Oh, wait, they're all in SD. I don't want to watch that, especially when you know that like out there in the world, there's like amazing Blu-rays of like Ingmar Bergman films. So yeah, I think it's just something that like sort of that thing of like, you know, sort of shunting entire libraries onto platforms. It seems like kind of people don't, the, the quality control aspect has gone out of the window. But I have to say this week, I mean, there was there was some sad news in the short term about your movie last night in Soho, your next film, your next uh, your next feature film uh, being pushed back uh, into October next year, October of this year, not next year. That'd be that'd be wild. Bond's also gone back. The Kingsman has gone back again. I think that's the fourth time that movie's been pushed back now. And from a from short termist point of view, it's like, oh, that's, that's really sad because we want to see your movie and those other movies ASAP. But I'm actually quite glad that they're being pushed back because they, in a way that means that their focus is on the theatrical campaign and on the cinematic experience rather than just releasing them to streaming now and getting it out and done and out of the way. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would spin it in a positive way as I wouldn't say like it's sad that it got pushed. I mean, to be honest, mm. and I got emails from people saying like, oh, you must be gutted that it pushes. Like, no, I was like, me and the producers are the ones who suggested it be pushed because we all want it to be on at the cinema. So we just yeah. want it to be out at the cinema when people can safely go and see it. And if they want to see it on the big screen, they can. So, so that's it. That's, that's all it is. And like, I think, you know, the entire industry was all hoping that things would be back to normal in April. And obviously, with the way that things are going, it doesn't seem like that's going to be, it's going to be too early. So I think just, you know, and, and, and I've been a big supporter of, of cinemas and have been involved in sort of, uh, you know, kind of campaigns to the government to sort of give them you know, help in this kind of period where they're shuttered and they, they can't open or there's a, a reluctance from some people to come back because, you know, of the pandemic. So 
I see it as like pushing it to October is is actually sort of a vote of confidence in a way from the studio as well mm. as like we also believe that this is like a film that would do well at the cinema and we want to hold out for that. And I think the films that you see that are moving, like it's interesting, you see a lot of horror films that have all kind of keep getting pushed back. Why is that? Because horror films just work better with an audience. Like I don't mm-hmm. think the makers of like Candyman or The Conjuring like want those films to be like on streaming and people watching them solo on their laptops or on their sort of TV and stuff. You you want those films are sort of designed yeah. to be seen with a crowd. So, and I think that's the same with, I mean, the tricky thing, obviously, and the thing that's like trying to do hand in hand with the exhibitors and with the help of the government is in pushing things is making sure that the cinemas themselves can stay open. So that's an obviously an ongoing thing around the world. So I don't see it as a bad thing. I was like happy that we moved it because I just thought if we come out in April, who knows exactly what's going to happen. Let's just try and sort of. Also, I think it's more of an autumn kind of film as well. Like uh, it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's a little darker and stuff. And so I think actually sort of like pushing it into the sort of when the nights get chillier and stuff is probably the right move as well. And what's happening with uh, the Sparks Brothers, which is your documentary about Sparks? It is premiering at the Sundance Fest- Festival, which is a virtual festival this year, on Saturday. And uh, I've been working on it for two and a half years. I started work on it before last night in Soho. And then one of the few benefits of the pandemic last year, I don't want to say great things, I think to say what a great time it was, but I, I did get to sort of, the one thing I could do in hiatus, because we had to go on hiatus with last night in Soho in March, we basically couldn't finish the film and we had to wait. But with Sparks, I had the opportunity of like editing it um, with the editor sort of by remote, which is the first time I'd ever done that. But it, with a documentary like that, with like tons of interviews and archive, it was actually quite a good way of doing it. So mm. by the end of the year, it was done and Sundance, like um, we got accepted into Sundance and uh, I'm just excited for people to see it. So I'm doing a lot of press for that at the moment. And hopefully there's no sort of UK release date yet, but I'm sure we'll know soon what's going to happen. But I'm very excited for people to see it because it's something, you know, it's a different thing for me. I've never done a documentary before, but it's a subject I'm very passionate about. And I, I try to approach it with the same sort of sense of humor as Sparks have about their music, just that it's mm-hmm. kind of slightly kind of like a, very like sincere in in its affection for the subject matter and in the way that sparks are, are very they're serious about what they do even when they're funny they're quite an inscrutable band in that respect and some people sometimes are put off by that because they think wait is this a joke they don't quite understand where they're coming from um but i think when you watch the movie it sort of like really kind of like lays it all out in terms of that they're they're sort of serious about being funny or that the way that they look at life is, is they've got a very sort of like irreverent satirical view of everything. And I sort of tried to approach the documentary in the same way is that it's extremely affectionate about the subject matter whilst also slightly taking the piss out of music documentaries at the same time. So (laughs) I had a lot of fun with it and I really enjoyed the process. And, you know, if I found the right subject, I might do another documentary in the future, you know, you haven't seen it yet, Chris, right? No, I haven't. I haven't. I'm I'm fascinated uh, because I'm not. I I I know next to nothing about Sparks, Edgar. If I'm honest with you, so I'm I'm fascinated to see if it sets me off on a, on a you know on a Sparks Odyssey. Well, to be honest, I mean the fact that it doesn't matter if you don't know anything about them. In fact, you, that makes you like the perfect viewer because 
I still had to pitch the documentary as like a celebration for those who know them and an introduction for people who know nothing about them, which is, mm. which is a large percentage of people because sort of the reason I wanted to do the documentary is I felt they were the, the most influential band who, whilst they have a passionate fan following, like haven't really uh, got their, uh, you know, due in a way. In, in a way that that's what the documentary sort of pitches it as is like sort of um, that they're your favorite band's favorite band, which, which is true. I mean, you've seen the documentary. I think you'll be flabbergasted by the talking heads just in terms of like how many musicians from really diverse bands are all into Sparks and, uh, and also how many of them admit to like being inspired by them and sort of taking some of their ideas and, and having greater success with them. The first person I showed it to was Cameron Crowe because I thought, <laughs> if he doesn't like that, I'm screwed. Um, but he, he watched a four-hour version of it and he was, like, he was like, oh, my God, this is like, you know, kind of crack for music nerds. I think, you, I think you'll really get a kick out of it. I think I'm going to make a deliberate choice not to listen to any Sparks Don't. songs before I see, yeah. I did that with Hamilton. I went in cold and I loved it. So, you know, I think if you go in with the songs in your head and you know, it, it might color my, my, you know, my, my fuming of the film. So I'm going to watch it completely and utterly cold when I, whenever I get around to that. Um, but listen, we both have to run. You have to do a day of Sparks Press. I've got to record uh, the rest of this podcast as well. But I wanted to ask you very, very quickly about just a couple of the names as well that you, uh, that you managed to get for this this incredible feature in Empire, and uh, you know there's some amazing people in there. I was lucky enough to be on a couple of the the phoners with you, people like Ang Lee and Spike Lee and Robert Zemeckis, Jim Cameron, oh, Steven Spielberg's on there, Jordan Peele. It's it's incredible. Well, one one thing I wanted to say quickly: one of the real pleasures of doing that article and something that's not in the actual magazine was that. Most people, I emailed them directly. If I had their email, I emailed them directly and they emailed me back. And what's funny is the first person to respond was Steven Spielberg, who wrote a piece. And then that was kind of great for me because then I could hold it over other people, <laughs> you know, to like Bill Hader and John Hamm saying, come on, guys, Steven Spielberg's already handed his piece in. But then there are other people who are busy doing things to say, hey, I'd love to do something, but can we do it as a phoner instead? And then Empire can transcribe it. So then, and this is in the run up to Christmas. It's just like funny thing where it's like, I'm trying to finish two films myself. I'm literally finishing Last Night in Soho and the Sparks Brothers and trying to do Christmas shopping. I remember at one point I was literally doing some Christmas shopping and I got a call saying, Spike Lee can talk, but he can talk in the next 15 minutes. And I was like, okay. And I went back to the office and got on the phone. And now we're chatting to Spike Lee about The Exorcist. And it was amazing. I mean, yep. I ended up having. I'd never, I'd met James Cameron once before. I actually weirdly sat next to him at a test screening for The Shape of Water, but I'm not sure that he knew who I was. Um, and then as it turned out when I got in touch with him, his email and stuff, he sent me this lovely email. As it turns out, James Cameron is a massive Scott Pilgrim fan. I think perhaps because A, he's Canadian and B, he is a vegan. So there's two things in Scott <laughs> Pilgrim that kind of like sort of uh, hit a bullseye for James Cameron. So we, we were on the phone to him. We had a Zoom with him in New yeah. Zealand, literally in the future, talking to him. And then I stayed on the call for another like 45 minutes just chatting about stuff. And it was, it was amazing. Like for somebody that I'd never really come into contact with, but whose films, you know, since I was like, I don't know, when I, I guess probably the first one I saw was probably the, the Terminator on VHS, I guess. But like just yeah. 
such a big part of my life, but somebody I had never really talked to. And I actually, this is, this is one little nugget, which or might make sense a long time after the fact when you see Last Night in Soho. But I told him that there was a particular shot in Last Night in Soho where I had shown the crew a deleted scene from Terminator 2 with a great mirror effect. People who have the Terminator Blu-ray might know what I'm talking about. There's an amazing scene <laughs> in Terminator 2 which didn't make the finished film, but it's a brilliant in-camera mirror shot. And I showed it to the sort of cast and crew to sort of say, hey, check this out. This end. So there's like some shots in Last Night in Soho, we do sort of similar in-camera um, uh, effects like that. So he was uh, really impressed. It was like that I was talking about a deleted scene that, you know, like didn't make the finished <laughs> film. So I was revealing myself as a big nerd. That's the shot, isn't it, in T2 with uh, Linda Hamilton's twin? Yes. It's in when the, they're taking, she's in the mirror. They're taking the chip out of Arnold's head and Arnold is yeah. in the mirror, but in the foreground is a Stan Winston puppet. It's such an amazing shot. Yeah, it's tremendous. So it's such a lo-fi, expensive in, in, in a way as well, but lo-fi approach to it as well. But there, there's one name I wanted to talk about on the list as well, which really stood out to me, and that's Kevin Feige. Mm. Now, Edgar, are you guys, have you guys made up? What, what's, what's happened? Well, we, I'll be honest, like, I had not spoken to Kevin since I walked off Ant-Man in 2014. Yeah. You know, there wasn't any real, like, sort of, like, animosity or, or like sort of outright hostility between us it was all very kind of like sort of diplomatic at the time but you know in that situation you don't like sort of you go your separate ways and there was no reason to get back in touch you know so i just never had never spoken to him or or vice versa but it always been sort of like aside from the movie itself we we had been friends so it was kind of like a, a sad thing about it because it's aside from the professional aspect of it we had been like uh, good pals so anyway, when the, when the, so I asked the readers of Empire or people on Twitter as well for their favorite mm -hmm. moments. And of course there were like, particularly, I think there were like two or three moments, like the people talked about a lot. One was Captain America catching the hammer in Endgame. One was, um, the Hulk, um, throwing Loki about in the Avengers. And also a lot of people mentioned Black Panther as well. So I thought I, yeah. it would be it would be disingenuous of me to get through this article without mentioning the M word once. <laughs> <laughs> so I did I did what I hadn't done in like six years. I just emailed Kevin, and it was actually, especially in this in 2020 in this kind of year, it's exactly the thing where sort of you should just kind of like not that I would ever say that we were having a feud or anything, but it was just it was a really nice thing, and Kevin was really touched that I'd reached out and reached out to him directly and just said, hey. And it was also, it was funny after six years of no contact to email him and saying, Kevin, I need you to write something for me and I need it tomorrow. <laughs> and he was like very, so it was nice. We basically kind of like reconnected over this article and it was very sweet. And I'm very, I'm very glad I did it. And I was, I was very happy that uh, uh, his response was so kind of, he, he was really touched that I had reached out and I thought what he wrote was great. And I told him that I read mm -hmm what he said about aliens to James Cameron, which he said was, you know, just wild. So it was nice. It's a nice kind of like um, happy ending to that story. I mean, by the way, in terms of that, like there were people that worked on that film. Like I never like fell out with Paul Rudd, like Paul Rudd has continued to be one of my friends. And also he's in the article as well. So it was just nice to kind of like reconnect and, and for 
such a good reason. Empire, bringing people together since 1989. That's, that's, that's the slogan that we should put on the next issue. Uh, it's, it's tremendous, and uh, thank you for doing it unpaid. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I mean, t- I mean, it is that thing where it's those, it's not dissimilar to when I was doing Sparks, is that like I could talk to people about Sparks ad nauseum. And it is that thing, like, there was a certain point where it's like, you know, when as soon as you post that cover, you get lots of people on Twitter saying, why didn't you, why didn't you ask so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? And like, and, the, and I had to say eventually saying, honestly, like I emailed a whole bunch of people and these are the ones that replied in time. <laughs> it's like <laughs> no precise like science to the breakdown is like, these are the people who got back in touch, you know, like, um, um, but honestly, it's like something like it's a, a, a subject that you could go on talking about forever. It might be nice yeah. at some point or somehow to revisit it, to ask more people. What I tried to do is take what the readers' responses were and then ask those people. So it's that thing where it's like I was trying to kind of like sort of like connect the dots so I could have, if somebody mentioned, do the right thing. It's like, let's ask Spike Lee what his favorite movie going moment was. Or like lots of people mentioned Get Out. So it was like a no-brainer. It's like, let's ask Jordan and Daniel Kaluuya what their favorite moments were. So that's kind of how it worked out, really. It's tremendous. It's, it's a cracking, cracking issue, and uh, we both have to run. But I will say, I'm not going to say anything yet in terms of details, but Edgar and I are working on something pretty special as well in terms of podcasts that, you know, keep an eye out for it. If it doesn't come together, you can edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. It's, it's out there. If it doesn't happen, if nothing appears in your podcast feed the next week, like you'll know it when you see it then just forget we said this bit. But hopefully something really, really cool will happen in the next, uh, what, 24 hours? I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more releases in 2021 with the words Chris Hewitt watermarked across the screen. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Is, I mean, that's what they do is they sort of they think you, the bigger they put the critic's name, the more they're hoping for a favorable response. <laughs> <laughs> How big's my name going to be on the link for the Sparks Brothers? <laughs> it's gonna. It's only going to be your name and just the audio. It'll just be your name and the audio for the documentary. You know what? Don't even bother showing me that. I'm fully on board. Five stars then for the five Sparks stars. Brothers. Thanks for joining. That's, <laughs> that's on record, guys. If it doesn't get five stars, <laughs> then write an angry letter to Empire and saying, like, what the fuck? Edgar, go and do your day of press. Have a great day, man. And that was Edgar Wright. The new issue of Empire, of course, is on sale right now on all good and evil news agents and digitally as well. It is a fantastic issue. I thoroughly recommend that you check it out. And it's time now to delve deep into this week's movie news. I think there's only one place to begin, folks, isn't it? And this is a trailer that we talked about last week. It is a trailer that brings together two titans of cinema. Damn, I wish it was another trailer I could do a joke about. Uh, It is (laughs) Godzilla and King Kong. They're together in Godzilla versus Kong. And... um, you know, we'll see what happens with the finished film. But I poured a little bit of scorn in this last week, and the trailer has made me eat my words a little bit because this looks absolutely fucking daft and exactly the movie we need right now. Mm. Yes, but but as as we've learned to our peril, there's an element of bait and switch to these Godzilla trailers. Where, like, you remember the trailer for the first Godzilla was absolutely incredible, and the film was okay; it wasn't terrible. And then the trailer for the second one looked fine, and it was. Less than fine. Um, so this one, what I'm hoping is they haven't put all of the monster fun in the trailer and then you've got like an hour and a half of tedious conspiracy 
agency human stuff in there because that's where these films go wrong like nobody gives a shit about the humans we just want to see the monsters punching each other like they should learn from pacific rim that's what i'm saying <laughs> but there is a moment in this when the big monkey punches the big lizard he full-on chins him yeah and it's great ben not a monkey i think you find he's an yeah, ape he's an ape, ape. i'm sorry i'm sorry the librarian God. would be very upset with you yeah he'd say Ook, <laughs> so what did you guys think of the orangutan chauffeur in cannibal run 2 i thought it was a bit far-fetched myself that's fine it's fine anyway it, it is like this is this feels like friday night smackdown but with giant monsters doesn't it and i think that's exactly what they were going for from the kind of new metal rap infused soundtrack that you've got on there it's that performed by godzilla and kong i believe yes <laughs> quite possibly and then like when when kong jumps through the air and twats godzilla on the head with something looks like an axe or something it's basically you know like Hulk Hogan jumping off the turnbuckle mm. with a fucking steel chair. That's the level of my world wrestling reference, Hulk Hogan, because I'm that old. Do you know what it looks like? It looks like that shot in the trailer of Reign of Fire with uh, <laughs> Van Zan. Is it Van yes, Zan? Yes, Matthew yes. McConaughey's character l- launching himself into the dragon's mouth. Like that, but a little bit bigger. Just a little bit bigger. Yeah. Um, Kong has had a growth spurt since Skull Island. Yes, it's been 50 Kong. years. It's been 50 years, and there is a line in that about him not being fully grown. So it's yes, okay. He's, he's tripled in size, Helen. He's quite <laughs> literally three times as big as he was. Come on, we've all tripled in size it's since true. we were it's adolescents. Yeah, it's it's down. I've, gone, I've gone lengthways, whereas he's gone... <laughs> I've gone horizontal. He's gone vertical. Yes, yes, he has. Um, I mean, there there are a lot of questions that we're going to have fun getting into in a spoiler special, like you know, just how reinforced is the deck of that ship? Yes, yes. Uh, things like this. You know, uh, is that but, how buoyancy works? <laughs> but I am I am amused by it, and I just want to see giant things punching other giant yes. things again. Is is that so wrong? No, you know. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it is interesting. I'm going to see how they're going to explain the fact that Kong is now 400 feet tall because Kong traditionally is not that tall. No. no. Kong, as I said this on Twitter already, but Kong traditionally climbs the Empire State Building. Yeah. This is a Kong so big the Empire State Building could climb him. And I'm yeah. not sure I'm on board with that, if I'm honest with you. But he needs to be big because they've, they've made Godzilla huge as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as Rebecca Hall says, Kong bows to no one. So. He doesn't. He, but although he could, I mean, he could because he's yeah. got the knee joints and stuff. He could bow if he, if he wanted he, he to. He could. He has the yeah, capacity he to bow. No, <laughs> he has the capacity. As she also says, after looking at Godzilla, it's Godzilla. That's my favorite <laughs> yeah, line like, in the trailer. It's Godzilla. I'm sorry. I thought it was the other giant monster <laughs> fire-breathing thing. Yes. Oh, uh, you say this, Jimbo, because. Uh, some eagle-eyed folks have spotted Mecha Godzilla in oh, this they trailer. Think they have. We see. We went through this. Ben and I went forensically through the trailer, looking at this. And they're the only thing, like that thing with the red eyes. No, fuck that. That's not. That doesn't look like Mecha Godzilla to me. The only thing is, in the background of one of the scenes, you do see on one of the displays what looks like a schematic for mm-hmm. Robo Godzilla. So that could be Mecha Godzilla. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that look, they're not going to have a winner between kong and godzilla they're going to have a third party who turns up and godzilla and kong have to team up to twat him or her like it's that's the way these things work i'll be amazed if that's wrong they need the stepbrothers moment of did we just become best friends (laughs) (laughs) i want to see the fucking catalina wine mixer but with Godzilla and Kong. Oh my God. Uh, we basically had that in Kong Skull Island. King Kong was chucking those uh, helicopters all over the place. <laughs> he was swatting them out of the sky. If we look at Kong's, you know, Kong's form, like what happens, Kong has a tendency to get a bit horny and fall in love and everyone kind of makes up. So is this what's going to happen? Will beauty 
you know, will it be Beauty that slew the beast again? Is is Kong downloading well, Keanu Reeves? Fucking <laughs> oh no, 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 nobody wants that. No, but it looks like it looks like the key is going to be his emotional relationship with the little girl, which is which is a cute and different way in. I, I think that's potentially a very good thing, and she looks great. Have I killed that conversation? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Helen versus conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoever wins, we lose. Oh, uh, hard. What, what, else, what else is happening? Can I just get this out of the way? Because I hate it. Kenneth Branagh <laughs> is due to star as Boris Johnson um, in Michael Winterbottom's This Scepter Dial, which will be about his uh, response or lack thereof to the early days of the pandemic. I just, look, I'm sure he'll do a great job. That, you know, great director, great actor, absolutely fine. Yeah, I mean, look. I know that Kenneth Branagh is not, you know, 100% always reliable. I mean, and that he has played very bad men and so on. But I just think this is a a kind of incompetent badness that he should not dignify with his presence. I just don't understand why this film is being made. It's too soon. Like, we are dealing with the kind of fallout from this shit show at the moment. I don't need to watch a dramatised, you know, origin story for the 100,000 deaths. Thank you very much. Like, no. Listen, Michael Winterbottom's great. So, yeah. fingers crossed that this might work out. But, yeah, I, I feel kind of along this, the same lines. Uh, and if it it, it won't, because it's Michael Winterbottom, but if it even comes close to giving Johnson a pass for everything he's done over the last year, then... Get in the bin. Mm-hmm. Uh, some interesting news about the Tomb Raider sequel, the Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider mm-hmm. sequel, that was going to be written by Amy Jump and was going to be directed by Ben Wheatley. It seems no more. And we did wonder about this whenever uh, Ben Wheatley attached himself limpet-like to the Meg 2, what that meant for his involvement with Tomb Raider. Yeah. Now we know that Lovecraft Country's Misha Green, who was the creator and showrunner on that show, is mm-hmm. going to write and direct the sequel to Tomb Raider. It's exciting. Yeah, I was surprised to see this because obviously the the Ben Wheatley Tomb Raider, I think that was officially on hold as of about October, November, nominally due to the pandemic. Um, but there was no official announcement really that he was off that project or that Amy Jump was off that project. So um, yeah, they've kind of sort of skipped straight ahead to, to somebody else. But um, I have to say, I haven't seen Lovecraft Country yet. I've been meaning to catch up good. on it. I've heard very good things about it. So um, I'm intrigued to see what she'd do with it. And great to see, we see all the time, especially like... Like male filmmakers doing a project and then get, getting given huge blockbuster things to do. And you don't tend to see that pattern play out as much with, like, yeah, women behind the scenes mm-hmm. as directors and as showrunners on things being handed these, like, massive properties. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see what she could do with it. I also liked that first Tomb Raider. It, it, it's, it's unspectacular, but I watched it on a Friday night with a beer and a pizza and had a perfectly fun time with it. So I think there's definitely something to build on on there. Mm. Misha Green did a tweet on the 25th of January, my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, Fala. Uh, and she said, my favourite from classic era is Legend and from survival era, it's a tie between Rise and Shadow. Having played, again, 10 minutes of a Tomb Raider game and then died horribly. Jimbo, do you know anything about this? Was this a game I've, that you follow? I have, I have played the game, but I'm not, I'm not a fan, I've got to be honest with you. But then I don't really get on with those type of games anyway. I don't, I don't love Uncharted as much as everyone else in the world does. And Uncharted is better than Tomb Raider. 
<laughs> so rise is, is, is the second one and that was the sort of snowy alpine one wasn't it or is it like they go all over the place. Or... tomb raider rise of tomb raider shadow of the tomb raider those are the kind of three in this particular generation there's also a tomb raider series or anime series possibly coming to netflix so I mean, the, the, the series news this week was very much, here are major, major properties that we are now spinning off on TV. So there's reportedly a Harry Potter, Harry Potter, um, Harry Potter TV series in the early stages of development at HBO Max. There are There was news this week on two different Game of Thrones mm. spin-off. Well, I think we talked about Duncan Egg last week, didn't we? Um, but there's also apparently an animated Game of Thrones prequel in yep. early development, also at HBO Max. So And an animated Skull Island thing they've announced as well. Oh, that's also at, yeah, that's also at Netflix uh, along with the Tomb Raider one. So it's mm-hmm. it's really like a bonfire of the intellectual properties right now. Everybody's just trying to not in any way like people are trying to milk the IPs they've got for everything they can. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I mean, Potter, what is this going to be like? It's going to be like the OC at Hogwarts or like, <laughs> I don't know, like the official canonized Harry Potter version of Fate the Winx Saga, which uh, if anyone's seen on oh Netflix, is about magical fairies. I mean, is it? It's barely about anything. I just, anyway. It's I'm horny not saying fairies, I watched it all. Helen. It's about horny fairies. Can you may or may not horny. cameo at any point? It's hard to say. Or they, they're not even that horny. I mean, I just don't get it. <laughs> Insufficiently horny fairies. Not like Motherland Fort Salem, which is about horny witches. Yeah. It's actually really good. <laughs> I, I think there is there is probably quite a lot of potential for something Harry Potter series-wise. Like, that, there is huge amounts of time that at Hogwarts that is unexplored. I mean, I'm quite interested mm. in the game that's coming up that is set in the late 1800s. And obviously it's still a big whacking stone castle. Like Hogwarts doesn't have to change that much. That world is already kind of anachronistic. There's no technology. It's all magic. So you can play around with time and they probably mm. don't have to change the the visual language of that very much. I mean, there's even stuff within the existing timeline that they could expand on. I think something they never really got to do as much in the films is the... Um, the sort of marauders, like Harry's yeah. dad, uh, the Mooney Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs surf could be mm-hmm. an interesting time to explore. Voldemort's own school days, like go back yeah. just a little bit further, mm-hmm. you know. Riddle me this, riddle me that. <sighs> the, the tragic tale of how Severus Snape fell in love with Lily Potter, or Lily whatever her name was before she married Loki Potter. <laughs> Evans, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah, it's Evans. Yeah. Evans, Lily Evans. Evans. Oh, so lovely. Could do all sorts of things, but uh, you know, to paraphrase Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, uh, uh, you do, uh, you do eventually plan to have uh, some Harry Potter in your uh, Harry Potter spinoffs. I mean, do they? I mean, is that what they're going? Are they going to recast Harry but Potter it's the at some wizarding point? World. It's the Wizarding World. They've they've got a whole world to play with. Um, in theory, yeah. I don't know. This is. Uh, I love the aesthetic of the world. I think it's got lots of possibilities. It's obviously something, I mean, the, the story doesn't really talk about J.K. Rowling's role in this, and she would have one because she has held the rights quite, yes, quite carefully over the years. So I imagine that she'll have to sign off on anything they want to do, and that might limit what is actually going to happen here. Oh yeah, 100%. You know, we'll see. I mean, gee, we have another Fantastic Beasts film to come soon, so that'll be <laughs> exciting. It says Who you're exciting. Wait for that one. <laughs> Hold for applause. <laughs> Keep holding. Any second now. No, it's gone. Um, but it could be something. It could be something more interesting. It could be literally Finding of Hogwarts, thousand years ago kind of stuff. It could be ooh, hiding the Wizarding World. 
I no, but like I don't mind a prequel if it's far enough back that I don't know what exactly happens. Because if they do the Marauders, I know exactly what happens. Mm. If they go back and do the Founders of Hogwarts, you know, it's a bit more up in the air. Now, so. am I the only person who just doesn't care? Like, I like I like Harry Potter. I do like Harry Potter, but I have zero interest in watching them kind of mine the wider world for additional stuff. Whereas I'm 100% here for every Game of Thrones prequel they can throw my way. But I mean, like, why though? Because those I have reservations about as well. I know. Well, Duncan Egg is great. So, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to be seeing that on TV. I really liked uh, Cursed Child, which is the Harry yeah. Potter play. So I'd be more interested in doing in, in them exploring things that happen after the books, or maybe even mm-hmm. after Cursed Child. I still stand by my prediction. I don't know whether I've ever said it on the podcast, but I may have said to you guys privately that there will be a Cursed Child movie or movies one of these days, and they're waiting for Daniel Radcliffe to age up. I think if they did that, they'd make a couple of changes to some of the characters. Specifically, I think they'd be they'd build in a romantic relationship that the show hints at but never actually has, mm. and I think it would be stronger for it. Exciting times ahead, and I'm sure you'll hear more about the Harry Potter TV show if it gets announced, because this is just very, mm, very early rumor. days rumour. You'll hear about it, of course, on the, on the Pilot, Pilot TV, TV podcast. podcast. <laughs> is this a new record? We're almost an hour into this podcast, and Jimbo hasn't mentioned it once. Are I know, you okay? and you're, you're, the one who was, you're the one who set it up. So, you know, my shameless plugs are a little bit off, off game. Yeah. Is a shame? No, it's going to make no, it. T- yeah, no, no, no more Keanu jokes. Yes, too on. much shamelessly plugging Keanu. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> let it never be said that the Empire Podcast cannot beat a joke to death, <laughs> <laughs> or beat off a joke to death. There you go. I knew somebody was going to go, and I'm like, no. <laughs> this this is so going to be one of these moments where it's going to be being, late people. tonight. It'll be about one o'clock in the morning. I had to get a text from Chris saying I'm really nervous about leaving this in the podcast. Shall I cut this? Shall I not cut this? Yeah, rightly, yeah. <laughs> leave it in, Chris. Leave it all in. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you've said that before. Title <laughs> 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 your sex tape. That's what she said. <laughs> Oh, oh god! Dear. At least we're not pure old giggling idiots. That's uh, that's, oh, that's important. Um, some films have been pushed back. Have we talk, how, did we talk about this last week? I forget. Lots of films have been moving constantly. But uh, had Bond moved back when we did last no, week? No, it moved back it just hadn't. after we recorded the podcast. I didn't feel well. A, I don't think we could get together again. But I didn't feel it was worthy because you know because we knew films it was moving gonna back, move, didn't we? Yeah. Mm. So that's Let's now talk about for 8th October, out. isn't it? Uh, is that eighth October? When's it moved to? Which one? Oh, Bond. Uh, Bond's Bond, moved, yeah, Bond. moved October. Last Night in Soho has yes. moved October. Edgar talked yeah. about that in the interview, mm-hmm. so you've already heard yeah. his reasons for doing that. And The Kingsman has moved once again. I think it's moved back to August. Ghostbusters has gone to November. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Morbius has gone to 2022, so at least that's some good news. Um, uh, <laughs> Every day is Christmas Eve, guys. Every day is Christmas Eve. No, nobody leapt to Morbius's defence there. <laughs> Not even Venom. Oh dear. Oh dear. Um, yeah, I just think we should talk about these movies when they come out. But I do, I will say that the fact that they're moving back, and again, this is something I said in the interview with Edgar, is a good thing in terms of cinemas and the cinema going experience. And I wonder if this is somehow linked. We haven't seen numbers yet for Wonder Woman 1984 and how it did on HBO Max and whatnot mm. in the States. And we haven't seen numbers for uptakes in Disney Plus subscriptions with Soul and things like that. But my feeling is if they had done gangbusters business, 
then Bond wouldn't be moving back. Then last night in Soho wouldn't be moving back. And even if you have a situation where filmmakers are going, okay, I want my movie to be shown on the big screen. Ultimately, studios might go, well, listen, let's just, we can make 600 million now if we put Bond on streaming right now. I wonder if this is a sign that they need cinemas perhaps more than they thought they needed them. Yeah, I, I don't think, I think the problem was if you saw the report of at least admittedly a few months ago now, they couldn't make 600 million for Bond right yep. now on streaming. Um, there was a reported figure being knocked around of three or 400, 000, uh, 400 million, and that's not even close. Yeah, that won't pay for suits. Exactly. So I think for films that are blockbusters or you know have real commercial potential beyond their budget, something like Last Night in Soho, the, putting them on streaming is potentially throwing away a lot of cinema upside, and it maybe is worth sort of sitting on them a bit longer, eating into the paying off the interest or whatever, and uh, and waiting for hopefully rosier days when we are all vaccinated and we can all go to the cinema and act like humans again instead of moles. So <laughs> it will be good. It will be glorious. There's going to be some great movies. My God, this this autumn. Oh. And hopefully earlier, I mean, hopefully we'll be, you know, we'll be edging back into the cinema before then. But yeah, I just it can't happen soon enough. Uh, some intriguing news that, uh, about John Boyega and Robert De Niro teaming up to mm -hmm. make a movie with Jared McMurray, who directed The First Purge. Uh, it's called The Formula and it's going to be a Netflix movie. And it's about John so it's a cracking log line. This John Boyega is a Formula One driver by day, a getaway driver by night. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I mean, I'm here for it, obviously. Yeah, sounds gloriously nonsensical. Mm. And uh, yeah, Boyega, De Niro, Vroom Vroom. Yes, please. There they are. There's wow. the yeah, there they are. Yeah, yeah. They're off. <laughs> <laughs> My God, this is interactive live Empire podcasting. <laughs> this is so much fun. The first purge is really good as well. I don't know who on this call has, has seen that, but I think mm. it's on Netflix at the moment. Um, I think those films are kind of underrated and do some really interesting stuff with um, their sort of satirical yeah. flavor. And the first purge, especially, um, like didn't pull its punches in terms of uh, the sort of racial tensions in America and the Trump era and uh, the sort of systematic um, nature of, of, of racist structures while doing it in a fun sort of, yeah, schlocky, B-movie, sort of thrillery horror thing. So I, mm. I'm intrigued to see what he goes on to do. I thought that was a really good film. Also, in films we definitely didn't know we needed, but might actually, uh, Kristen Stewart appears as Princess Diana in <laughs> Pablo Lorraine's Spencer. <laughs> yes. Look, I'm a massive Jackie stan. I think Jackie's <laughs> really, really good the one he did with Natalie Portman. So that is the only thing that's making me excited for this because I am, I'm not excited for another Diana story. I've watched The Crown. I even saw the Naomi Watts film, which was not super great. Um, but, you know, so it, let's hope for better for, for Case Stew. Diana stories are everywhere at the moment, as you said. Mm. Obviously, the most recent season of The Crown. We also later this year on Netflix are getting the Diana musical that, that was going to uh, begin on Broadway, but because of COVID, they've they've filmed it and it's going to go on Netflix and then open on Broadway afterwards. Also, somebody I can't remember who it is. There is somebody <laughs> writing a Diana musical using the songs of Steps called A Deeper Shade of Blue, which is an incredible <laughs> thing. <laughs> well, it is a tragedy. It is. There you go. I'm sure there are all sorts of songs uh, from Steps. I don't know how they're going to get five, six, seven, eight in there, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I'm impressed by your knowledge of Steps back catalogue. <laughs> this was my time, James. I was, I was growing up in the 90s. It was everywhere. 
what were you? Were you a stepper? Is that what you were called, steppers? I, I, I don't think fan bases really had sort of um, yeah collective nouns at that point. So, but it was impossible not to be a steps fan. Steps, S Club Seven, all of that. Don't stop moving, Ben. Don't stop moving. <laughs> that Diana shot. I mean, Kristen Stewart looks nothing like <laughs> Princess Diana, and but from that, that angle, she from that angle, she kind of does. Yeah, it's the head tilt and the veil, and yeah. yeah. I wonder if they found the one angle that she looks like Princess Diana from, and the entire movie is going to, have to be shot from that angle. Maybe, but also, like, she looks nothing like Kristen Stewart in that picture. So maybe she has somehow tr- magically transformed herself to look more like Princess Di. I don't know. Look, I mean, Jackie was really good, so that's literally the only thing I'm hanging my hopes upon. What's it do? It was. It was really good. I will. I will defend that film until I die. I will die. Not, in no, a, not that far. Maybe not, not that hill. I'll, I'll be slightly wounded by yeah. the next lead hill. Yeah. Roughly. More of a hillock. Barely hillock. a rise. Yeah. What a load of hillocks. <laughs> uh, some very sad news to finish off the movie news section. We lost two greats this week. We lost Cloris Leachman at the age of 94. She won an Oscar for The Last Picture Show, uh, which came out, of course, in 1971. She was in Kiss Me Deadly, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. She was very funny in Young Frankenstein and High Anxiety, both, of course, for Mel Brooks. Mm. Very, very sad news indeed. She was incredible. She was one of those women who was just so versatile. Like she would play these, you know, very serious, very tragic films, like in the Last Picture Show, and then on the other hand, you know, Frau Blucher in uh, in Young <laughs> Frankenstein. I mean, she's incredible, and her TV uh, history as well, you know, was astonishing. I think she's the most nominated person in Emmy history. And ties with Julia uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus for uh, most wins, which is you know no mean feat. That's wild. Yeah, isn't it crazy? And she was acting until I think last year was her last credit. Yes, she's got uh, a couple of movies on the way over here. The Crude sequel. She was in that. According to the IMDb, her next her last film is going to be called Not to Forget, and that'll be out at some point this year. You might imagine. So very very sad news about Cloris Leachman, who passed away at the age of ninety four. And passing away at the age of 87 was the great TV show host, talk show host, uh, radio show host, Larry King, who died last week. And uh, the reason we mentioned him on this podcast is because he was one of the great cameoers uh, in movie history. You know, there was so many movies in which Larry King appeared playing himself. I think, Mm. for example, Ghostbusters pops into my head. Yeah, Dave. Yep, absolutely. Dave pops into my head. Uh, there's a he cameos focally at the beginning of Albert Brooks's Lost in America. There's an interview on that where he that he did with Rex Reed. He seemed like always such a, a charming, a funkular, wise guy, and uh, yeah, he will be greatly missed. Now it is time to talk about this week's movies. Let's talk about Synchronic. Jimbo, what is Synchronic? Uh, Synchronic is the latest film from Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, the two who are going to be doing uh, Marvel's Moon Knight series. Uh, and if you've ever seen The Endless and or Resolution, uh, and you kind of, oh, you don't have to, but it's good to see both as they're very much connected. Uh, but if you've seen those, you'd have a fair idea of kind of batshit weirdness that actually awaits in this film. Um, so bear in mind, this is a film that starts with a caveman sticking out of a motel wall and a lift that opens into a desert. And that 
kind of sets the scene quite nicely, I think, for this. Uh, this stars Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan, and they play Steve and Dennis, who are like a pair of, uh, of New Orleans paramedics. And they get a series of bizarre calls with this sort of one single unifying factor which is empty packets of a new designer drug called Synchronic. Uh, and then Dennis's daughter goes missing after taking the drug herself, and Steve sets out to discover what is going on. So they're going to do an amazing job with Moon Knight, because I think I, what I love about these guys is they're, they're just, they tell fantastic stories. Like at The Endless, they both star in it as well, written it, directed it. Um, I love The Endless. And I think this is more, it's a more straightforward, kind of conventional and, well, relatively grounded story. Uh, but it is brilliantly bonkers. Um, <laughs> there's a, sort of that great central sci-fi premise, which I'm going to tiptoe around because I do think this is a film that you should not mm. know, as, know as little as possible yes. going into. But it's not just about the nuts and bolts sci-fi premise at the heart of this film. It's also uh, got this line in existential musing, you know, what makes a life, how we look for happiness, and, you know, how it takes big life events to pull things into focus. Mm. There's also a commentary on race and American history bubbling away in there as well. Um I think tonally, like like The Endless, there's this sort of hum of melancholy that kind of runs through this film slightly. But I think Mackie does a really good job of offsetting that because he never lets it get down. He's consistently funny in this kind of deadpan commentary, sardonic way. He really anchors the film. I thought he was fantastic in this. Mm. Um, it's not a generous budget, and I think the effects maybe show that in places. But I also don't think they really detract from the enjoyment of the film at all. Weirdly, I think, like I said before, the only thing that maybe might detract is if you find out too much about this going in. So I do think this is one that, you know, don't maybe avoid the reviews and stuff. Just go, at, just watch it. That's what I'm going to say. Watch it. Watch it. <laughs> the, Synchronic. Four stars. <laughs> the thing I really like about this, it, these guys give me a bit of a sense of almost like early Mike Flanagan and even early Chris Nolan stuff where it's like you've, you've got these filmmakers who can come up with really big, ambitious concepts on very, very low budgets and use sort of cinematic tricks to portray that and only sort of rely on the effectsy stuff when they really need to. So they can get across these big ideas and these quite big, wild concepts on very small budgets and make these really interesting films that feel sort of small and big at the same time. Like this feels for a lot of it like a character drama between um, Anthony Mackie and, uh, and Jamie Dornan's characters. There is a lot of scenes of those two just talking and yet it feels really cinematic. I think the way that they've shot mm. it um, and the way they do sort of edits to draw attention to sort of perceptions of time is really interesting. Mm. And that costs them nothing to do, but it, it, it adds so much to the texture of the film, the themes of the film, and the, the sort of general sci-fi flavour of it. There are some really amazing um, shots in this where the camera sort of pans up to space just for a few seconds and sort mm. of watches yeah. planets and stars drift by. And it's just these really simple moments but that make this film that is ostensibly quite small feel really big. Mm. And uh, yeah, I love that about it. Yeah, it doesn't spoon feed you either. Like it's it's kind of murky at times, uh, mm. both in the fact that most of it takes place at night, and and also in the fact that there's just sort of throwaway lines being discussed almost in the background that actually it would behoove you to pay attention to sometimes. Um, so it, it's it's not kind of um, sci-fi by numbers, and I appreciated yeah. that about it. I really like that about it. There's one plot point which you could argue, I guess it's not that major, but it's a significant plot point which is handled in absolute passing. He overhears something, and if you're not paying attention, it's just gone, and they don't feel the need to spoon-feed it to you. I think that's great. This also, like, this feels almost like it's like a watershed film. Like This is maybe their last sort of 
bold, independent, low-budget film. I feel like with Moon Knight and the Price, I mean, they, with, I mean, even from The Endless or even Resolution, they were obviously destined for bigger and better things because uh, The Endless is just insane, absolutely insane. And the way it builds on that earlier film is is incredible. Um, but like, you know, as a calling card, I think it, it got a lot of attention and this obviously has done the same thing. But I think, you know, Disney have already taken note of these guys. So we will mm. be seeing a lot more from them. Maybe they'll do a one for them, one for us kind of model. Maybe. And we'll see loads Maybe. more of these. Well, I actually spoke to them last week uh, for a spoiler special interview about this movie. Uh, there's a lot to get into. and We chatted for about an hour or so. Mm. So if you, like us, watch Synchronic and are blown away by it and you want to hear more about their creative choices, then the Synchronic spoiler special will be up on our spoiler special channel, subscription only, behind a paywall, folks. Soon? Some point. At some point in the next two weeks, I'm saying. Hopefully next week, but maybe the week after. But they were together because they're shooting a movie right now. Uh, and it's just a th- it's just apparently three of them shooting this. So I think they're getting one last little independently splurge uh, okay. out before they move on to uh, to the, the bigger things. Four stars then for Synchronic Four of your Earth stars. And next up, we are, well, on Earth, in Earth, under Earth? With The Dig, which is on Netflix right now. Synchronic, by the way, is on VOD, but The Dig is on Netflix. Helen, did you the dig it? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that joke's going to be more fun than anything that happens in The Dig. (laughs) Hey, The Dig is all right, actually. It's not great, but it's all right. Uh, So yeah, it's 1938 and Edith Pretty, who's played by Carrie Mulligan, is a young widow with a young son and she hires an excavator, Basil Brown, who's played by Ray Fiennes, to come in and investigate the burial mounds that are all over her backfield, basically. Not a euphemism. Um, And... uh, he, she's basically keen that he start digging on the biggest one. He's like, I mean, that will have been looted long ago if there's any treasure in there. We should definitely start with the smaller ones. Do try to control yourself, gentlemen. <laughs> oh, come and on. You had us that he needs to investigate her burial mounds. There are so many poorly chosen mounds. words in that sentence. <laughs> burial mounds. How are you? Never mind. I don't want to Mounds, know. Helen. Mounds. No, you can't I, say yeah. mounds to men and expect to get away with it. You also said excavate her backfield. <laughs> I did. And I specifically said that that was not a euphemism because I know how your minds work. <sighs> Are we ready to continue? In your own time, Helen. I'm not the one holding this podcast back. Oh my God. You're a liar. Anyway, uh, it's basically uh, the discovery of the Sutton Who treasure. This is not a major spoiler. Sutton That's who? history. Yes. <laughs> Sutton who's on first, you know. <laughs> uh, so basically, there uh, it's going to be a it's going to become a, basically a bit of a bun fight. Sorry, but it is for the uh, chance to excavate this em- enormous find and this incredibly important Anglo-Saxon treasure, which is now installed in the British Museum. Spoilers. It's an interesting <laughs> film in that they have an incredible cast. I haven't even mentioned uh, Lily James or Johnny Flynn, both of whom are also in it in roles uh, that it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> Carrie Mulligan is is good, but she's cast as a woman who was literally 21 years older than her. And I would genuinely like to speak to someone about that decision because I don't understand it. And I feel like it would be more interesting 
interesting with an older woman, not less. But she is know, great, though. She is great. Like, yeah, no question. You're, you're not wrong. Like it's it's a, it's slightly odd casting, but she is fantastic. I mean, because you already have Lily James, so you've kind of covered the young and gorgeous angle. So I'm not, mm. you know. Anyway, but um, but yeah, it's basically about these outsiders. This person who this woman who wasn't allowed to go to university at the time because she was rich and it wasn't the done thing and this working class man who wasn't allowed to go to university and become you know a trained archaeologist because he's poor and it wasn't the done thing and and the two of them combine to find this great treasure and uncover this amazing stuff basically so that's i think its strength it's a very gentle film it's not going to offend anyone you can watch it with your granny uh, if you're allowed to watch things with your granny at the moment, because she's probably locked down millions of miles away. Um, but it's kind of, it's just an interesting bit of history that you probably don't know much about. I certainly yeah. didn't. And that's about all it is, you know? Nicely done. It's not mm. going to change your life, but I was interested in it. Yeah, it's 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 a strange film, isn't it? Because you get to the end of it, or what is it, like an hour and 50 minutes or something of it, and it feels like you've spent a lot of time not going very far mm. like they dig up a field that's there's a lot of digging there's a lot of digging there is some I mean, digging, in the yeah. title yeah um you know it's it's yeah it's, it's like you say it's, it's gently nice and it's there are lovely character moments in it but they don't make a big meal of it they're quite understated subtle moments the relationship between uh lady james and her husband in it the relationship between basil and mrs pretty um and you know, and, and when the British Museum get involved, there's a bit of a dig at bureaucracy and stuff. And it does feel a lot of it is a bit of a, uh, it's a little bit of a you know big up Basil story, isn't mm. it? That he's a man who had was a part of this big find has been largely forgotten by history, and this is an attempt to kind of redress that because that's what the, the novel is, and it's based on the novel, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So yeah, well done, Basil Brown. It well is. done, Basil Brown. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. No, I, I just think uh, anything that has uh, five syllables can be sung to the tune of Take My Breath Away by Berlin. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered that this week. <laughs> okay. It's on Netflix now. Bang, bang, bang. Bang, bang, How many stars do we give it? Three. What do we, what do we give we the dig? Three stars. Okay. We gave it three, three stars. Three stars. We gave it three stars. Ding, ding, ding. Bang, bang. See what I mean? We gave it three stars. Anyway, three stars in for the dig. Well done, everybody. All involved. And uh, Only Hell's Bells has seen the next film, the last mm. one we're going to talk about this week, which is Assassins. Not, as I thought, a remake of the cracking Sylvester oh. Stallone, Antonio Banderas, Julianne Moore action movie. That's a shame, isn't it? Sorry. That? Penned by the Wachowskis, I believe. Yes, indeed. I like Assassins. Do you remember yeah. that, that, that came out around the... The Specialist was around that time as well, wasn't it? And they yes. sort of seemed to share a lot of DNA. Mm. Yeah, they do. They did. This is a, sadly nothing to do with that. Uh, oh, okay. It is, in fact, about a real-life assassination. Um, rather excitingly, this is from director Ryan White. It's an account of the murder of Kim Jong-nam, who is the eldest brother, half-brother, of Kim Jong-un and was assassinated uh, in the airport at, I think, Kuala Lumpur a few years ago. Now, wow. it was immediately pretty clear what happened. Basically, these two girls ran up to him and put their hands on his face, and their hands were covered in VX poison, and all of us have seen the rock, so we know that that is bad, right? So Kim Jong-nam died of VX poisoning, and these two girls clearly put it on his face. So far, so clear. 
After that, it all gets hella complicated. And that's what this film is about. Honestly, it's the kind of story where if you went into a Hollywood studio and pitched it, they'd be like, don't be ridiculous, come back with something vaguely believable. This is not that. And it is 100% like it's a documentary. This is actually what happened. They have the receipts. Um, so it's it's pretty extraordinary. I was I was fascinated, I have to say. I don't want to say too much more. Yeah, I read about this today. Mm. And... Holy shit. Holy shit, right? <laughs> holy, holy shit. Um, and I haven't had time to watch the documentary and I'm desperate now to see this documentary because holy shit. Right. Yeah, that. Yeah. It's 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 a very, very strange story. Um, and, and I have to say, it's a quick turnaround. The, the assassination only happened in 2017 um, and the... I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say the trial um, happened two years later in 2019. So he's done very well to get this all together so fast. But it is, it's a properly insane story and uh, he makes the case uh, for, the, for it. Anyway, mm. I won't say too much more. But yeah, fascinating, yes. fascinating thing. If you're interested in political intrigue, this is 100% the film for you this week. Mm. What would you give it? Dun, dun, dun. I would give it, I think, a four. Maybe a four for me. We give it four stars. Bam, bam, bam. It's going to catch on. It's not. Four stars then. Four stars for Assassins. Sounds absolutely incredible. Where is it available, Hell's Bells? I believe that's VOD. I believe that's VOD. And that's... Don't just take our word for it. Look it up <laughs> as well. And we think it is VOD. And we should have also mentioned in the news section, did you see, guys, that uh, the Star Channel category of yes. Disney Plus has been announced? <gasps> and finally, finally be, a, you know, be able to have a, a swear uh, on Disney Plus. Um, I presume you have to pay per F word. But uh, yeah, it's going to be out at the end of February and it's got loads and loads of movies. Uh you know, classics from the Fox archives and and things. And also all of Buffy. All of Buffy. All of Buffy, all of X-Files, all yeah. of all Modern of the Family. X-Files. There's loads of stuff on there. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's proper good. Proper good and, and indeed. a selection of Die Hard movies, whatever the fuck that means. That means two and three. They've got two and they've got with a vengeance. Why? Why? I don't know. I wonder if maybe the first Die Hard is tied up elsewhere. They have two, three Do and they? four. I looked at the, uh, the 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 sheet today and I was like, "What the no, fuck Chris, is that?" No, Chris, there are only three Die movies. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like Indiana Jones that's what, that way. That's how you Sorry, keep track. Yeah, my mistake, my mistake. But uh, yes, they only have two of the three Die Hard films. Why do they have Die Hard? What's happening? Yeah, it probably is. A, it probably is an ex- exclusivity deal elsewhere that will run out eventually, and then it will oh. be restored to its rightful place in our hearts. What a load of gubbins! 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 Ahoy! Anyway, on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Podcast 449, folks. And you know what that means. It means that next week is a big old landmark episode. 450. 450 episodes of the Empire Podcast. We have dedicated, well, Ben hasn't, but we have dedicated nine years (laughs) of our lives to this. Ben has not been alive for nine years, so therefore couldn't dedicate himself to it. I listened for a lot of those years. That sort of counts. It does count, Ben. In a very well, in a very real way, you have been part of the Empire Podcast family. In a very real way, we are your parents. I do feel that sometimes. My very no. deeply inappropriate parents. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> 
Oh dear. And we're back to watching films with your parents in which your sex scenes. Anyway, another time. Another time. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a cracking show. It's not going to be a live show as was originally the plan. Uh, we are going to reschedule our live show at King's Place. The current date we're looking at is towards the end of April. That may be slightly optimistic, so I wouldn't be surprised if that moves again. So once we have something solidified, then we'll let you guys know. And if you've booked tickets for that already, it was it's streaming at the moment, streaming only. Um, if you have booked tickets for that, then we'll let you know and you, you know, your ticket will be transferable. And uh, if we are able to, whenever we do have that next live show, have people in the audience uh, because of vaccinations and whatnot, then what a glorious day that will be, and I will make an announcement on the show. But for the time being, we're treating episode 450 as a regular episode. But we will be joined on it by... Paul Greengrass. Hey. Oh, yes. Bringing out an old favourite for episode 450. Paul Greengrass, director of all those movies. And he's made another one. Greedy. What? I know. Disgraceful. He's made news of the world, not about the tabloid newspaper, but uh, a Western starring Tom Hanks. And uh, we're also going to be interviewing Kevin MacDonald, who is uh, obviously a cracking director. And he has directed uh, another Life in the Day, Life in the Day 2020. Remember Life in the Day from 10 years Mm -hmm. ago where he got loads of people to send in, film themselves on a particular day and they would send it in and he made a film out of it. Well, he's done it again, but this time under a pandemic. But until then... Until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Ben Chronic himself, Ben Travis. Goodbye. It is goodbye from toss a coin to your dire, James Dyer. <laughs> goodbye, Chris. I'm going to download a mod to uh, see if I can excavate Keanu Reeves' burial mound. <laughs> no, oh no. <laughs> it is goodbye from carry on regardless, but with one R and an E because of Carrie Mulligan, Helen O'Hara. Right. So yeah. clever. I think the jokes you have to explain at length are really the funniest. <laughs> <laughs> I always say. It's a, it's a visual joke. It's a visual it joke. A visual it works joke. for us. You know. Yes, but not necessarily for the listener. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Bye. Anyway, bye. Toodaloo. You forgot to say toodaloo. Oh, sorry. Toodaloo. No, oh, no, your catchphrase is dead oh. now. Uh, and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to download a patch for Cyberpunk 2077 that allows you to do unspeakably rude things to Keanu Reeves. Apparently, you can see his hardball, but not his own private Idaho. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. You're all dreadful. 